Working Class Audio is made possible by the support of Cali Audio, DistroKid, Sampley Audio, Audio Technica, Gearspace, and Grace Design. This is the Working Class Audio Podcast, session 427. Working Class Audio, navigating the world of recording with a working class perspective. Here's your host, Matt Boudreaux. Thanks, Chuck. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Working Class Audio Podcast. This is session 427 you're listening to. My guest today is the return of producer mixer Brett Bullion, who's worked with The Bad Plus, Margaret Glasby, Low, and Bad Bad Habits. This is Brett's second appearance on the show. He appeared originally on episode 147. And some of you may remember, although I would never expect you to remember this, honestly, Brett and I met at Mix with the Masters 2017, September to be exact, at that week of amazement that he and I took part in with Chad Blake. Brett comes back on to fill us in on what's been happening and has some suggestions for us. And I'm looking forward to you here in that interview and uh, looking forward to having Brett back. So Brett Bullion coming up here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Grab your coffee cups, friends. Let's talk about transparency. No, I'm not talking about sonic transparency. I know it's an audio podcast, but you all know me. This is how I roll. No, I'm talking about transparency with our clients, being upfront, being clear about how we work, our intentions, everything about it. There's going to be a certain segment of you, and there is no judgment here, believe me. There's going to be a certain segment of you that like to keep things a little bit vague and fluid so that you can work in just about any situation and you adapt. And I commend you for that because that takes a lot of strength. That takes somebody who can put their own ways of doing things aside and be very adaptable to whatever the client needs. And, you know, that actually may end up leading many of you to higher positions, we'll say, in the world of film and music, etc right? You are adaptable. Then there is a certain segment that does things a very particular way. And I mean, we definitely have clear examples of those types of people in our world. Steve Albini comes to mind. Chad Blake comes to mind. People that do things a very particular way. And that may not be your cup of tea if you're an artist, right? You know, I love Chad. I think he's a fantastic human being and I love the way he mixes. However, he's even admitted that not everybody likes that approach so he doesn't always get the gigs right fair enough consequently albini doesn't like to give production advice so he's not going to get certain gigs as a result clearly it hasn't hurt either one of them i bring this up because i was putting together the faq section of my own website mattboudreau.com and as i read through the questions that i put in the answers that you know are meant to answer potential clients' questions, I thought, hmm, some of these questions are a little direct and could, could rub some people the wrong way. And I started to think, well, maybe I should change them. And then I quickly shook my head and said, nah, screw that. I'd rather just be upfront because I don't wanna get into a project with somebody and then have them realize, wow, okay, this, this person is not the right person for the gig. I had uh, some people reach out to me. This is actually going back a couple of years ago. Uh, it was a referral from another client and I had these guys call me up and they said, hey, so-and-so recommended you and we really wanna have you you know, mix our stuff. And we talked about you know, the logistics of some of that. And then they got to the point of, yeah, so the way we wanna do this is we wanna come and sit next to you and we wanna just sonically try out all different kinds of permutations and try things and see how things work and kind of teach ourselves along the way. And I just said, you know what? <laughs> I'm not I'm not the guy for that job. And that's not how I work. And I lost the gig, right? Obviously I lost the gig, but I'm really glad I lost the gig because I would have been miserable doing that gig. You know, when I mix, I get the tracks, I do my thing. We have mix revisions, we sign off, we move on. That's kind of, the essence of what I do. So of course, you know, 
on my FAQ page, I put a, we need a mixer that we can tell what we want and have them push buttons for us. Can you do that? And I clearly state, no, I'm not your guy for that approach. That's not how I work. Now, if you're a new person coming to this website and you think, oh, I may want to hire this person, and you read that, you might think, oh, that's kind of an asshole answer. At the end of the day, I really don't give a shit. I want to be honest and tell people what my intentions are because I don't want them to get into the situation with me and then discover that, oh, we can't have him just be a button pusher because that's not how I work. That's, you know, and I'm not trying to emulate anybody. I am just saying that this is how I work and this is how I do my best work. A couple other things here. I've had people call me and say, hey, we've been, you know, mixing this thing for like a month and we're stuck. It just doesn't sound right. And we want you to mix it. However, we want you to keep all of our plugins and all of our settings and all of our mixes in place. And we just want you to polish it. And I'm like, uh, no, no, I'm not doing that. I'm sure I could use a house analogy, right? Taking over for a homeowner who's decided to play contractor and then they hand it over to you and say, okay, well, we like all this, but there's some things that just aren't right. But can you just kind of smooth out some of the rough edges? It's like, no, I'm not gonna do that. If you want me to mix it, I'm gonna mix it the way I mix it, right? And it's gonna go through my filter. In fact, I even say that here at the top of the page where I say, ultimately you're hiring me based on my taste, my filter, my perspective. And I'm gonna do what I think is in your interest as your advocate and to make you sound competitive, it's, you know, blah, 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 blah. You can read it. It just, it says a bunch of shit like that. And that's what I want people to take away from it. It's like, oh, okay, we're hiring a professional to do this thing. I don't hire my plumber and say, I have this problem and I'm gonna tell you how to fix it. Certainly your plumber doesn't work that way. As someone who hires a plumber or an electrician, you might say, here's what I want to achieve. Can you do that with your skills? That's a different conversation than I want to tell you how to do your job. All of this is to just say, look, do you, be you. Don't try to emulate our friends and peers. Ask yourself the hard question, how do I like to do this? And if you're super open and, and amenable and flexible and willing to work with clients in the way that I am not here, kudos to you, do it. If that's you, do it. I'm, I put these things in here to answer questions for people so that I make sure that when I get together with people, we have a good time doing what we're doing. I don't want to pull the wool over anybody's eyes. I don't want them to be misled in any way, shape or form. Is this going to preclude me from doing certain gigs? Of course it is. Yep. There's going to be some people that are like, no, we're not hiring that guy. And that's fine. I'm, I'm not here to do everybody's gig. I'm here to do the gigs where I can contribute in a way that works for me, everything else, you know, I don't know. I'm not sure what else to say about that. Now I do say at the end, I say, what if we disagree on a mixing decision? And my answer to them is I will ultimately defer to you in a disagreement where you feel strongly about something. That said, I'm not gonna hold back and not be honest with you as a listener and a fan. Because, you know, one thing that to consider if you're mixing and, and or mastering, if you're coming to work on a project, you're bringing a fresh perspective that's unbiased by band member relationships or any other drama that may have existed in, in some of these groups, right? So you have a leg up in some ways. And in another way, by not knowing all that drama, we also are at a slight disadvantage too. But anyhow, there's numerous ways to look at this. And some of you are going to disagree with how I'm approaching my own mixing career here. And some of you are going to agree. Both of you were right because... I'm going to lose some gigs because of some of these answers, but I'm also going to gain some gigs too that maybe I'm a better fit for. I kind of look at it like that. Anyways, I could go on. Just be an individual. Do what's right for you. Be transparent with people. And unless you're willing to bend your own rules, then be upfront with people and tell them, no, that's not how I work, rather than getting them into the gig and then surprising them and saying, sorry, that's not how I work, but you have to pay me anyway. I think if you're clear and transparent with your clients about your methods and they know that and then they agree to that, well, that's a different story if they agree with it. But if you pull a fast one and a little bait and switch, that's, that's not cool. So have a think on it. Figure out where do you stand. 
some some of you might even say, you know, Matt, is it really necessary for you to put those FAQs on your site? Why don't you just have those discussions at the time? Well, I like to just get it all out there. I like to be as forward and upfront about things as I possibly can so that when we get down to, to the business of mixing, I'm set. We're working. We're done. We've had these discussions. So there it is. Be transparent. Do what's right for you, but also do what's right for the client. That's my rant. Thanks for listening. Let's get to it. Brett Bullion here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Brett, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, Matt. Good to see you. Great to see you. Since we probably, in fact, I'm quite sure that we went into the details of your your journey in the last episode, what I'm interested in is what you've been up to and yeah, where did you leave off a few years ago? Well, I do know that, I mean, probably everyone's talking about this, but it's like before COVID, after COVID, that's what we always- Right, right. <laughs> it's like, it's not BC and AD anymore, it's BC and AC now. Yeah. It's like- before COVID, after COVID. So yeah, we talked before that and I would have been in my same studio space that I was in back then. So yeah, I've since built a mix room at my house. That sounds really good. And I've just been bopping around studios, traveling a little bit more to make records and it's been working great. I didn't know how well it was going to work for a while, but lots of people do it. Lots of the engineers on your show do that. So that was before COVID, right? No, no, it was during COVID. It was partially because of COVID. It wasn't a total like, oh my goodness, I can't keep going. I need to slim down. But it was like sort of half that. Mm. Because I was actually fortunate to be relatively busy during, well, there was a few months where everyone was scrambling and we didn't know what was happening. But after that, it was like, kind of got really busy and everyone was just trying to make records. That's all they could do, right? Mm -hmm. So so we had signed a lease. I say we, because my friend and mastering engineer, Huntley Miller, we shared a giant suite and we each had our own separate rooms built out. He's still there, but we had shared that room. We had had a lease, I think a five-year lease and that was coming to an end and it was ending the December before December, 2021. Mm. And so I made the decision, you know, I think it'd be cool to have other engineers work out of here. I'd never really had it open like that. And so I just changed the workflow and made the patch bay less confusing or less specific to my workflow got everything sort of shaped up a little bit. And I started having a handful of my friends and whoever wanted to, you know, engineer come out of there. This is at your house. No, that's not my, at the building. Oh, this is before we left. We signed a one year lease after the five year lease ended. And I was like, I'm just going to try to do the commercial studio thing. Uh, and see. Okay. I see. Cause I'm friends with a lot of cool engineers in town and I'm in Minneapolis. Those who need a refresher. And yeah, so we did that, we did a year. And it was kind of working. And then halfway through in March, not even halfway, yeah, half, halfway through, it that just hit. And I was like, all right, I don't want to sign another year lease and be dealing with that kind of overhead. Right. And so I, I called up Jeff Headback, who is a great acoustician. He designed the, the two rooms I was in there. And I told him, like, you know, again, those, those who can see this can see it's a smaller room. It's like a second bedroom in like a studio apartment. I told Jeff the the dimensions and everything, and he was like, "Hell no, no." He's like, <laughs> "He's like, I can't make it work. You can't do it." And I said, "Yeah, but what if we had to? You know, because <laughs> I understand it. Like, I understand the physics. I've Jeff's taught me so much, and I've learned so much from other great engineers about amazing room design and all that stuff. And I was just going, I know, I get it. Uh, I know there's limitations. Anyways, I convinced him to just, you know, Jeff, if you had to." what would you do? So he gave me a, a treatment plan for this. And then I started using the Neumann KH80s with the room correction. And that was really, it just came together. Like the room sounds good kind of from 200 and up on its own. So it's really flat, especially for what it is. And then, um, yeah, the room correction is what saved it for me. From 200 down, it saved you? Yeah, mostly. There's like one bad notch in there. That was the thing it mostly had to address. I was very skeptical about it. I thought there's no way that that's going to work. And it did, thankfully, because I was like, oh, this is like everyone, right? They build their control room. They got to mix a record in a week or something like that. What am I going to do? It's scary. Everything sounds weird and I have no idea what I'm doing. But yeah, so that really saved it because I did. I had to get going on some stuff. So it worked out. You said studio. Is it really a studio apartment? 
I guess what do I mean by that? I think I might have used the wrong term. We live on the second floor, but my partner Amy owns the duplex we live in. Okay. So we're on the second floor and our bedroom's on the third floor and there's two bedrooms on the main floor. And she's a photographer, so she has her studio in the other room and then mine's in the adjacent bedroom. So below you, what's going on? Below me is a tenant. And they're cool with it. And I don't really make much noise because I'm just mixing. I don't mix loud. Yeah. It's everything's been okay so far. That's the great thing about a small room is that you don't have to yep. turn things up as loud. Yeah. I don't mix very loud even when I'm in a bigger control room. I just don't, you know, I turn it up for tracking, especially when the artists around. Yeah. But even when I'm tracking, I don't track very loud when no one else is in the control room. Y'all know how that is. Everybody's listening. It's like, it's wear your ears out. So. Yeah. Well, so. What did you do to this room to prep it? Did you do like any fancy acoustic treatment or did was it all DIY stuff? I see some. Well, diffusers. no, it's all it's yeah, it's all designed by Jeff Headback at HD Acoustics. And it was just a real quick and dirty kind of he just there wasn't much time to work on it. And it's just not that complicated. So on all surfaces, the assembly is 703 insulation framed out. And then there's a layer of pegboard, and then there's another layer of 703, and then another layer of pegboard. And it's some combination of how the pegboard increases absorption over a certain range. Hmm. Guessing it's working like some kind of Hemholtz thing or resonator or something, something like that, which I've always been skeptical of those things, but I'm guessing it's broadband enough that it's not like some really weird, like super targeted Hemholtz thing. But anyways, I could go on and on about that. <laughs> <laughs> and then behind the speakers, there's a different, it's slightly thicker insulation. I think it's like a foot of the fluffy stuff, the pink fluffy stuff. Yeah. And then that same assembly I just described. So there's quite a bit going on. I mean, it's it's not like I just threw up some panels for first reflections. It's it's kind of like full on trying to deal with whatever you can given the cubic volume. And you were just going for treatment. You weren't necessarily going for soundproofing. No, 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 not going for soundproofing. That would have made mixing in here impossible because as everybody knows, it's like once you soundproof it, then you've got even worse standing waves and there's less transmission loss. So. Once you got a room sealed up like that, you got you got to deal with it appropriately. Yeah, you need the back to have a seven foot base trap, and the room is only like twelve feet long or something. So I'd yeah. be standing like this, mixing. You know. And it's a small room, so I take it you didn't fill uh -huh. it up with a bunch of gear. Is your gear fairly minimal for mixing? Well, I can't really. So there's my console. Oh, okay. So you got one of those? Is that an API box? Yeah, it's an API box. I'm still working on that. Okay. And it's, it's actually a standing desk. Amy's dad built this. So there used to be a closet there and that got knocked out before I was even in here. Okay. But anyway, yeah, so it's a standing desk. That's been really nice too, actually. Just standing all day and not sitting and getting cramped up, keeping the blood moving. So Absolutely. That's been surprisingly good. During COVID, mixing was plentiful for you? Yeah, I was doing a lot of mixing and I did some tracking too. I did the last Bad Plus record, mm -hmm. that band out of well, Minneapolis and New York. We did that at the Power Station in New England with my friend Evan Bakke, who... Who, strangely enough, I interviewed this morning. That's right. Yeah, that was that was fun. I did that. I just mixed Margaret Glaspie's new record. She's on ATO Records. Mm -hmm. So that was really fun. I don't know when that comes out, hopefully this year. How are you getting your work these days? I don't know. <laughs> people just show up yeah i've just been really lucky to land on a few things that people liked and then other people have heard it and called me to mix something it's been mostly mixing i'm getting a lot of mix work which i that's my favorite thing to do probably so i know some people like tracking more or production or something i i like mixing i do too i like being by myself and take the dog for a walk make a coffee work a little take a break work a little you know obviously if there's a deadline i have to kick it up a bit. You can't but, take the dog for a walk as many yeah, times. Not necessarily, or, or yeah, or I can't. Yeah, exactly. Or it's just got to be a longer day. But but yeah, I feel like I'm able to make, I guess I should say less burnout. Because mm -hmm. you know when it's like you got a studio day to do a mix and that's mm -hmm. it. It's like you just are powering through it and you do the best you can. But when you can kind of like bounce around and my setup's flexible too. The way I've got the desk set up, I can move around pretty quick. Like I don't have to just finish a mix and print everything, get the artist approval. The recall is like five minutes. So it's really not bad. It takes longer to print and it takes longer to print stems and stuff because it's hmm. all real time. And I don't know if you feel this way, but I've come to the point yep. where I can't mix anywhere else. 
and feel yeah. like I really have my all my comforts, you know? Yeah. That's probably been a problem for everybody always, right? It's like you kind of park somewhere and you get used to where, yeah. how it sounds. And like if you're Chad Blake or something, you're in Sound Factory B for however many years you're just used to it. And then you're at real world. You just know that room, right? And it takes a while. It's like, oh, now I get it. I've always got to put the vocal a little bit more here, a little bit more there. So yeah. I've had that with this room and I've had that with every room. This room has been translating better than my last control room, which is crazy. So yeah. I, don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but it's translating better. So I'm happy. You know, post-COVID, what else has been going on? Well, the other thing that happened during COVID was I got way back into composing again. And that was kind of part of why I wanted to talk to you again as well. When I was like a kid in high school, I got really into this program called Maxim SP. Yeah. I'm sure there's lots of listeners that know what I'm talking about. For those of you that don't, it's like a graphical programming interface, hmm. object-oriented for Mac and Windows and stuff. It's like you have these little, almost like little Lego boxes and you can connect them with patch cables and you can set up these systems of music and media. And there's lots of people in, in the arts that use it for all kinds of different stuff, visuals, audio installations musicians, all kinds of stuff. So anyways, during the pandemic, I was playing a lot of video games and I like video games where you can kind of like do wrong stuff. <laughs> when I was a kid, <laughs> not wrong stuff, like horrible stuff, just exploring. Did you ever play that game, Vet? You ever heard of that game? No, I'm just going to confess. I am not a gamer. Okay. I'm not really either. Like I play one game for like two years. And I get really into it, and but I don't have tons of time. But yeah. during COVID, I was like, got back into some of that stuff. And there's this particular game. I grew up on the Alien franchise, mm -hmm. Scorning Weaver and all that stuff. I love those movies. And anyways, there's this particular game based on that series. It's called Alien Isolation. And I was playing that a lot as much as I could because it's kind of scary. So I couldn't really, <laughs> I couldn't play. <laughs> I'm too just, I'm too much of a scaredy cat. But anyways, there's these two really cool videos on YouTube. And this guy kind of breaks down the way that the AI systems work in there. And I remember watching those thinking like, I could build something like that in Max, and I could build it to have dynamic music systems, kind of roughly just inspired by it. Nothing, it's not as deep as if you're trying to program a AAA game. So I started this project kind of building out these tools and systems where I could essentially have an improvising system. Hmm. And I was just doing that on the side. I was mixing all day and then getting up at 6 a.m. and programming for like two or three hours and then going to mix or going to track, whatever. So that was a big part of the last few years too. And I just put that, that project out, it's called Deep Glens. So I don't know if you have a place you can link to things. Oh yeah, or... I'll, I'll put links in the show notes so people can check it out. Yeah, for sure. So that's kind of a, a thing I've been up to too. So it's been fun to kind of like revisit that style of working after having a lot more experience engineering. Because mm -hmm. when I used to do it, I was just more of a musician. I was a kid, I, I was a bad programmer and a bad audio engineer. So I hadn't, <laughs> I really had no idea what I was doing, but it was so fun because it's intuitive. It really is. It's like you're plugging things in you don't really know what you're doing. And, but that's kind of, I'm guessing how we all got into engineering or a lot of us did. It's like, wait, I can just, I can feed this into that and I get this result out of it. It's like, there's just something, I don't know what it is. It's like the monkey in 2001, like hitting the, the bone, right. you know, it's kind of like something happens. I think when you plug something into a patch bay and it changes a thing. I think there's something really, what's the word? Primal, maybe. Maybe there's something primal about it. Do you think that doing that gives you a better perspective on the work you do as an engineer with artists? Yeah, probably just because it keeps me excited to like try things and experiment. Mm -hmm. And it also in some ways makes me less precious about mixed changes because I, I have more than one creative outlet. Say I worked really hard on a mix and somebody was like, I don't like it. Well, I want them to like it because right. I'm working for don't them, we all? right? So there's that. But it's like, it's it's much easier to get them excited about something when you're not like, yeah, but this is my creative statement because it's not your creative statement, right. not really. So I think it's in that sense, it's kind of easier to kind of go like, oh, that's fine, no problem. I'll make this weird generative music system do exactly what the hell I wanted to do it. <laughs> tomorrow at 6 a.m. Right. and turn off these effects on this thing, but it's not working for you. That's no problem. But you, you said something very interesting though. That's your creative outlet. And maybe 
I wonder if some of us become so precious with what you want to change the, you want to pan the guitar to the other side. What you crazy? Right. Because for some, that is their only creative outlet. Right. Yeah. And I think that's fine. There's not a problem with that. As long as you, you kind of know that you're always in a collaboration and you're always essentially working for somebody else. Sometimes it's not a collaboration. Sometimes it really is like you're an employee. And now hopefully if, client or artist is halfway sort of self-aware they know that they're coming to you to let you be yourself because otherwise why not just hire somebody that's just cheaper than you or something you know you know what i mean like there's especially when you start to work on a few records and people go i love the sound of that record i'm sure calling you it's like hopefully they understand that i think most people do yeah and then too it's like when you're at that micro level of focus like if you're on a mix and it's like i just I just think it sounds bad now. It's like sometimes later on you go, that wasn't a big deal and that made the artist stoked. So who cares? Yeah. That's fine. But of course we all get into that situation where we just in the last year have been in situations where I have to be like, I think it makes the mix worse. I really do. And here is why. And I'll just tell people like, once you tell me, no, we're going the other direction, I'm not going to bother you about it anymore. That's like your executive decision. And I respect that. But I feel a responsibility to disagree with people if I have reason and it's not just my ego or something. There are things where I go, I think the mix is worse now. Like now that the vocal is too quiet or the snare drum is turned down or the the energy has changed in the musical statement and I think it's worse. Like I will tell someone that. Yeah. But after, if they say no. Right. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Let's change it. In terms of like speaking of the business end of, of mixing, have things gotten easier, better, worse? Have you figured out like the magic financial formula to make people comfortable with what you charge and make yourself comfortable? Yeah, I feel like it's just changing all the time. It changes around. It just depends. I do I work on a lot of different stuff and sometimes it's really hard to tell what something needs. And so sometimes you get in there and you're like, man, this is like, tons more work than you thought it was going to be and you just have to have a conversation so sometimes that just happens and you have to just be honest about it and yeah and be straightforward about that up top too it's like here's what the rate is and here's what the deliverables are and here's what the kind of the agreement is and if something changes we can have a conversation about it at that point yeah so i try to do that learn through mistakes of not doing that <laughs> like do you have hard fast rules you stick to or do you just always stay flexible with with rates yeah with the rates Try to stay somewhat consistent because mm-hmm. it's you have some ideas to what your overhead is, how much work you need to do per month to make a living, mm-hmm. to make a sustainable living where you can save for the future. Because freelancing, you're not hopefully not just planning for the moment if you can avoid it. Because if you were working at a company, they'd be taking 15% out and putting it in your 401k or whatever. So right. you have to think that way as a freelancer. It's not just like, well, I can survive on this mix fee for this month. It's like you actually need to charge. 20% more or whatever, so you can pay your health insurance or... Right. There's this book, actually, it's called The Money Book. The Money Book. I believe it's called The Money Book, Freelancer's Bible or something like that. Okay. I can send you this. You can put the links in. The- yeah, whatever it is, it's going to be in the show notes. Cool. Yeah. I like couldn't recommend that enough to any sort of creative type or freelancer. That book really changed my life in terms of implementing those systems. And you go, well, that's not 5% out of every paycheck not going to do anything. And then three years later, you're like, I have a serious emergency fund or I have a HSA fund that's going to over compound over 30 years and allow me to retire in a certain way. So yeah, that that stuff's really important. And I love the way this book lays it out for artists and people with income that is variable Mm -hmm. and changes. It's really good. Yeah. That's interesting. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. It's awesome. I, I still reference it. I'll still pull it out every six months and look it up something do you have a like a conscious strategy of you know i mean there's the strategy obviously of just day-to-day i need to make a living and i need to work and i need to work for a fair rate but do you have like a, a conscious strategy of like trying to get ahead trying to make a bigger name for yourself as a mix engineer where you're trying to get bigger bands or is there any of that that you're entertaining or struggling with Yeah, I've done a little bit of that. Some people are really good at that. I have friends that are like very good at that and it shows in their careers. And I think they're doing it in a 
way that's genuine to who they are. Mm -hmm. And I've found that I'm not good at that in a certain way. Yeah, I don't know. That's a hard question to answer because I really have been so focused on composing again and mm -hmm. the sort of the programming aspect of that Deep Glens project I was talking about that I've really just been sort of manifesting being open to what's happening in the mix zone. What I mean by that is people call and I go, cool, I'm going to do a really good job as a mixer. And then I do the best I can right. and then something else happens. And I don't know, it's for some reason, it's, I know it sounds a little bit mystical, but that's kind of the way I've been approaching it. It's like people have just been calling and have been going, great. I like this. I like this person. I like this music. Yeah. The rate's good. I've been working with a little bit with, there's a really awesome booking and management company in Chicago. It's called Big Fish Booking. Mm -hmm. And it's run by this woman named Tina Priceman and her husband, Chris Weller. I met them on the Bad Plus session because they managed the Bad Plus. Mm -hmm. And they were really great to work with. And so Tina's been helping me a little bit with some of that, which is really cool. She's been doing some management. And that's been helpful too, in terms of just going, okay, what do we want to look at a little bit? That sort of thing. That's interesting. You know, and I think, and I don't know if you're going to identify with this or not, but living in, in the San Francisco Bay Area, it's not like a Nashville and it's not like in Los Angeles. Yeah. It feels to me that people in places like Los Angeles are wanting to make records. They're willing to spend money to make records. And I'm not saying that people in other places don't want to do that, yeah. but it's there's a level of commitment, financial commitment, seriousness, and approach to a career that works a little differently than it does where I'm at. And I'm curious how it works in Minneapolis. I mean, I was talking to Evan Baki about this. When I think of Minneapolis, I think of Soul Asylum and the replacements yep. and Prince and... Right. Stuff from 40 years ago. Stuff from 40 years ago, right? But right. so my question is, I guess, is, is there a music industry in Minneapolis? Well, yeah, there totally is. It's definitely much different than a place like LA or Nashville because you just don't have the entertainment industry and the money and the infrastructure that you do in those cities. But lots of the mixing I've been doing is not local. Mm. Some of it has been for sure. And I love that because there's really good musicians here. But yeah, a lot of it's been, let's see, oh, I have to do this month. I got to do, yeah, I got to do some stuff from both coasts. I was just in Chicago. I just did a record for a jazz band there called Hanging Hearts. So I don't know. I've been, I've been traveling around more and then also just getting hard drives and stuff. So. Interesting. Well, not hard drives, drop boxes. Drop sometimes boxes, people, right, right. Sometimes people still send me hard drive. I'm like, why? That's so weird. I know. It's like, why? I always tell everybody, is it backed up? Because I get nervous sometimes when people are like, I'll send you the drive. It's like, uh, yeah. Don't send me the only one. That's frightening. You know? <laughs> I know. Yeah. Hey, our friends over at DistroKid have created the DistroKid app for Android, which allows you to do some key things such as check your stats from Apple and Spotify, edit release metadata, upload new releases, and a host of other features. And remember, WCA listeners get 30% off your first year at DistroKid. And if you just head on over to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30, you can follow the link, get your 30% off, and be off to the races. So check our friends out at DistroKid and make sure and get your 30% off by going to workingclassaudio.com slash WCA30. About a year and a half ago, I signed up for Sampley.app and I have to report back and say that I'm completely thrilled with it and it's working out quite well. It gives me the ability to upload mixes and masters to the website and provide a super pro looking interface for my clients. They can drop comments in the timeline. They can listen on any device. They can listen to it in high res. And if I want them to pay for the mix or master before they download it, because of the Stripe integration, I can set that up. There's also Dropbox integration, which allows me to quickly create a folder in my Dropbox, which automatically syncs with Sampley, makes it much more simple. You should check it out for yourself, but there's a deal to be had. So use the code WCA20. Go to Sampley.app or Sampley.app. Use the code WCA20, get 20% off, and you'll be off to the races. It's a fantastic tool that I think you're going to enjoy and will definitely make you look a lot more pro when you're delivering files to clients. Skip that whole business where you send it to them over Dropbox. That looks totally amateur at this point. Use Sampley.app and use that code WCA20, and I think you're going to be really thrilled. Sampley.app. Check it out. When you travel, what's your approach to that? I mean, do you charge for your travel time? How do you even structure that? It really depends on the project. 
like if it's sometimes you can just use it as a way to sort of negotiate the fee, right? It's like, okay, I can come down a little if you get my travel or the travel's just included. Sometimes I know the, the budget's smaller, but I really want to do a record. And so you just make that work. And then sometimes it's like, it's not even a question. The management just takes care of your travel. Mm-hmm. That's always awesome. It's just different. It's the wild west, man. You're in the saloon and you're like, <laughs> you're in the saloon and it's like, I'll give you this for these pack of cigarettes or I don't know. I'm just making it up now, but you know, <laughs> there's no like hard and fast rules about that. It's just, what do you need to do? And what is the budget that exists for the record? And I guess the more I do that, especially watching Tina work that stuff out too, is that she's just such a cool person to watch negotiate because most of the time it's just like, everybody wants it to work. Right. That's kind of the approach. And so it's like, let's just figure out where that point is, where it works for everyone. I like that so much better than there's some managers I've had to deal with if I'm representing myself or I've just witnessed or heard other things. And it's like, there's so much like aggression. Sometimes you have to be that way. I'm not talking that down necessarily, but kind of come into the situation with the idea that everybody wants it to work. Let's figure it out so that everybody gets there and everyone's happy and everyone's as taken care of as they possibly can be. And mm-hmm. then you're going to make a good record, you know? I mean, it's not like running any other company or creative endeavor or business it's like humans don't do good work when they're not having a good time it's our brains evolved to live in groups of 150 people by a river everybody had a purpose everybody was taking care of each other in a certain way so we have very deep structures inside of us that respond to that so i'm gonna wax philosophical now (laughs) i was gonna say you are that's why i like that sort of management and and style and approach to doing something creative and Mm. i've not i've not done it well many times and so it's taken messing it up a lot to figure out like that's a stupid way to do it yeah you know it's been a number of years since we were in france with chad and i'm curious if over the years do you go do you reflect back on that experience and think about what you learned out of there and and have you evolved as a result of, of your experience with that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. Can you narrow it down even more? Because I could just go and go. and. Well, like, you know, for me, I don't know if you remember this moment, but for me, I remember sitting on the couch and those big TVs were up and we could see like all the stuff he was doing. And I remember this very moment where he brought up some plugin and then he pulled it down and everyone was like, Chad, bring that back so we can mark down those settings. And he was like, Guys, doesn't matter. Doesn't yeah. matter. <laughs> doesn't matter. It's not going to, yeah. I'm trying to do my best Chad Blake voice. Yeah, you're right, right. Doesn't matter. And, right. And that's when I was like, damn right, it doesn't matter. And I put my little book down and just like, I'm just going to sit back and let this wash over me. It's funny because it's like kind of everything. There's like two layers to that. There's the layer of it where it doesn't matter because there's sort of the physics and engineering level of that, where if you put the same EQ settings on, any source that isn't the same, it won't sound right, right? It's not the right EQ move because the source is different or something. Mm -hmm. So there's that layer of it. But then there's a layer of it where it's like, if you can abstract why he's doing a thing, like if you can look at an EQ and go, oh, he took out some harshness, but then he put a shell phone after that to sort of open it up again. So there are philosophies you can extrapolate from settings, Mm -hmm. but you can't literally apply things all the time but that's why i started to get way less precious my friends that are mixers or just musicians i work with that are cool engineers or producing their own stuff they'll always ask like what do you have in your mix bus or what are you doing or how do you do this and i just tell everybody everything now because it doesn't it doesn't matter well no because what they're going to do is if they are keen and if they have the source ignited inside of them then they're going to extrapolate philosophically like oh i see that's probably why he's doing this and i'm gonna mess with that except i might try it this way and then they just Mm. become themselves they become an individual they take the the knowledge and it they start sounding like themselves because you couldn't really do otherwise i guess that's the biggest thing i took from chad when he talks about there's no secrets i don't care about that i know everything he does technically at this point and i don't think i've ever made a thing sound like him (laughs) right and for a while i tried and then and then i realized like why am i i don't want to sound like Chad Blake. I love him. He's very inspiring, but what do I want this to sound like? Exactly. That's kind of the most Chad Blake thing you could do is be like, what do I sound like? And all my favorite musicians, they're all like that. They have that ethos of what do you want it to sound like? 
<laughs> because mm -hmm. you can do it and you should follow that instinct. Yeah, that's. I wonder if that's a common journey of most engineers trying to sound like the people that they revere, like, you know, the Chads. That's a human journey. Yeah. That's everybody. That's what we start doing from the minute that we come into our families. Emulation. Absolutely. Yeah. And then it's why, like, you learn good and bad traits from your family systems and from your cultural systems and all that stuff. And then you figure out at some point, like, maybe I shouldn't be hearing it that way. <laughs> right. <laughs> or something. Right, right. Then we start to become ourselves. Yeah, it's like maybe I'm getting in a fight with this person because I shouldn't be chewing it that way or something. You know? <laughs> Moving forward, as far as budgets are concerned for you with people, we're in 2023 as we record this. People are talking recession. People are, yep. the sky is going to fall, et cetera, et cetera. Are you starting to see hints of that with clients or people like pushing back on rates? How are you dealing with that? I haven't seen that yet. No. Mm. There's been some scheduling lulls and things, but there's always that sure. every year, but it moves around. I don't understand why that is, but you think it would be more on a release cycle or something. I don't know. I don't know why that happens, but every year there's kind of like a month where it's a little bit slower and then all of a sudden it gets crazy. That just happened to me like today is just was like, whoa, I'm going to have a crazy month. And I thought it was going to be sort of chill, but I want to do all the mixes. So I'm going to do all of them. How do you balance all your time for everybody to make sure that you're doing a great job, but you're also fulfilling people's release plans. I think just knowing as best you can what your pace is, is good. I know that if anyone else called me this month and was like, can you do this? I would start to have to think about, I'm not sure I can. Mm -hmm. I don't know. You just start to get a feel and you speed up hopefully as you get better at it. I'm much faster than I was three years ago. Yeah. Much, much faster. And I'm doing better work too. I can do in five hours what used to take me a day and it's better now, in my opinion, at least. So mm -hmm. everybody's hopefully everybody else thinks so. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're going to call you out. They're going to say, I heard you on that yeah. podcast. This only took you five hours. Well, you're not paying me for hours. You're paying me for my experience and my taste. Exactly. Well, how do you, how do you arrive at that, that rate that feels right to take all that into account? Part of it's just a marketplace, right? So Part of it's like other mixers in a certain tier of things with certain credits for certain labels are working at a certain rate and you have to kind of figure out what that is and get your bidding around that. Then from that place, you can go up or down or adjust certain terms. It totally depends on the context from that point. And then if somebody's like, yeah, cool, it's a single. And then you're like, okay, great. The rate's this. And then they're like, and we need stems of every single part. And it's a synth pop thing. And so there's a hundred stems or something. It's like, okay, well, we got to sort that out and figure out exactly what that hourly looks like at that point. But if somebody's like, yeah, cool. I just need an instrumental and a cappella main mix. It's like, yeah, no, no problem. This is the rate. So if it's a producer, I don't know. Well, I'll definitely need to listen to it and talk with them because I got to figure out what their vibe is like. Because now like some people I work with, I just know what their vibe is like. I know there's going to be a certain number of recalls in a certain way. And that's just their process. Mm -hmm. Or I know some people it's like, yeah, we're totally going to get this done in maybe one round of notes or two rounds. So yeah, you just have to account for that. I'll work all day for somebody. I'll work on one song all month for someone if they're taking care of me. And I just know that that's how they like to work. That's fine. It's just about expectations. And like I said earlier, making sure it works for everyone. Do you find the process of mixing and mix revisions different between, like if you're working directly with a musician versus if you're working for a producer who's calling the shots about the mix, how does that differ between those two entities? It really just depends on the producer. There's some producers that they get all the notes from the artist and they're there on the, I've been using that audio movers yeah. service. Uh -huh. It's awesome. Evan actually turned me on to that. It's like changed everything for me because I've always been a remote mixer even before the pandemic. I've mostly just mixed by myself. Yeah. That has been so cool because you can just be like, let's get on this stream. It sounds really good. And the producer can be right there with the artist and obviously not even in the same room. Right. And you just get that first pass done right away where it's like, we hate this effect. <laughs> or like we love this effect turn it up more and put it on this thing too or whatever you get that immediate thing that you would have if somebody was sitting on the couch behind you in the 
control room or whatever. And are you using a, a video component like Zoom or FaceTime? No, I'm in my pajamas. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. It's just, I usually just have like a chat window open, but I'll just text with people. Oh, wow. Most of the time. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes we get on the phone because I don't, I don't want to have to switch between audio sources and have loop back stuff going on. And I just don't want to deal with that. Yeah. And most of the time it's simple anyways. They've already given me a list of notes and then I'll just be like, okay, cool. I'm going to work through these. We just chat and it's been fine so far. I've only had one person be vibed out by it. And then, you know, you can just change your approach for that. That's fine. Mm. Everybody else, it was like, really have a blinking eye at it, really. Because everyone's texting with each other all day anyway. So <laughs> it's just normal. Yeah. I've got like a, a setup with audio movers and Zoom. Cool. Th that's independent. I should try that. That is a good idea. I mean, I do like that idea. And that all came to fruition because of COVID because uh -huh. I was doing mixed revisions on a big band record and I had a guy in LA and a guy here locally, but yep. we were all like staying away from each other. Right. And then I just got it figured out with those two technologies and I've yet to find anything else that is easier. There's a few things out there that I'm just kind of like, oh yeah, that's too much of a pain in the ass. I want, I want it to be simple. Yeah. Well, so now that we're kind of stopped by that for a second, are there things that you wanted to discuss that I haven't brought up yet? I think it was mainly just trying to hit people to that Deep Glens project. Yeah. If there are engineers that are interested in nonlinear systems of composing and improvising and also just like sound design, uh -huh. you know, because I'm using the tools I'm using in there, it's like you build your own sequencers and systems and you're kind of playing it like you would play like an open world game in a certain way. Like you don't really know how it's going to respond all the time. Mm. I think the reason why I like that is it's very close to how I like to record bands where it's like you set up effects chains and you have all kinds of different mics going. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you're just kind of watching and listening to what those people out in the live room are doing and you're just reacting to it. It's like, wow, that's really cool with what she's doing on that thing. And what if I run it through this and then hmm. pitch it down or something. So it's like, you're not really generating the ideas, you're reacting to ideas with your own tools. So I think it mimics my process with bands, but it's sort of just like in its own little world and own little genre. Is there any mixing applications for Max that you can hip us to? If you build it, because I mean, that's how Max works. If you wanted to build a DAW in Max, you could do it. Really? Yeah, it's just it's just a programming language like any other programming language. It's just that it has objects kind of pre-built. Mm -hmm. But you can get very atomical with it. If you hate Pro Tools and Reaper and Ableton and Logic and wanted to build your own DAW that did a certain thing a certain way, you could do it. Just depends on how much time and chops you have. Right. So the, the thing I'm building is not really a DAW. It has channels and you can load your own things into it, but it's not a DAW in the sense of like there's no left to right timeline. It's not like you hit play and your ideas go by like that. It's like hit and play on a bunch of drum machines, except the drum machines can really listen to each other and make decisions that are bespoke to how you've set it up. Like hmm. you just can't predict the outcome. It's like if this kick drum plays here and this other thing is playing this, then this happens. And there's a 25% chance this other thing will happen over here. Then this gets fed back into that data wise. Hmm. And so it starts to become a system where you can't predict the outcome and you try to just shape musically how it sounds. So I think mixing and recording engineers, if you had the concept of how a signal path works, like on a console, with a compressor and microphone, all that stuff, all the stuff we use, right? Mm -hmm. And then if you just abstracted that to like data and ideas and lot like logical operators, that's kind of like the fun of it. Cause it's like a familiar signal path in terms of using this needs to hear this, which reacts to this, which will do this. And then let's feed this delay back into itself. You know, we do that on consoles all the time, right? Mm -hmm. But it's like a data set. So it's like all these things happened and occurred, and then we're going to feed it all back into itself. So it makes decisions based upon the decisions it just made. And people that use modular sense will not kind of know exactly what I'm talking about because there's all of those kinds of things in modular land. Yeah. I was having a deep conversation with a guy that I met last night who's telling me all about Eurorack stuff and oh yeah it's bottomless yeah yeah because we we were comparing the rabbit hole of purchases that can take place if you get into guitar pedals and then we were talking about Eurorack stuff yep yeah it's crazy I have friends that are really into it that mastering engineer I mentioned my friend Hunt 
at Fijian Mastering. He's a really good sound designer, composer in his own right. And he's, he's gotten really deep into getting back into modular stuff. His stuff sounds amazing. Hmm. But yeah, I kind of look at that and I just go, it's, it's just not for me for some reason. First of all, I don't have the space. Like I just don't. Right. <laughs> I barely have the space to have half my outboard is up in my bedroom in the corner because I just use it for tracking and mobile stuff. It's like, I don't have the space for a giant Euro rack thing. And, and I think I would strangely feel limited by it because of patch recall. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love the idea of things where you have it set up and you have to capture it in that moment because it'll never come back. Like I love that stuff right. as well. And you can do that with Max, of course. Like you just get yourself into a corner where you're like, I don't know if this is going to happen again, so I better be recording. But I like, I like having patch recall and being able to morph between patches really easily, that kind of thing. So I like doing it digital. As far as your setup is concerned in, in, in gear, I mean, you know, I know that long ago I started working in the box and Chad and Andrew actually, Shep's kind of reinforced it and, and yep. validated it in many ways for a lot of people. Totally. But I, you have the, the API box thing, like where are you at with all of that? I've done a lot of digital mixing this year. I got it to be the best sounding I've ever thought I've made it sound. Then I'll do a mix on the desk the next week and I'm just like still better. It's hmm. just, it's, there's something about the grip of 500 and down that I cannot figure out how to get in digital. Mm -hmm. And I hear that thing on all those guys you're talking about. I hear the thing I don't like, like it's on all those mixes. I don't know. Cause I also don't, I don't be the guy that's like, well, it's terrible. Cause it isn't terrible. It actually sounds really good. And there's ways to make it sound. I've done digital mixes this past year where I was like, I love this mix. I think it sounds great. And I put it up against mixes I've done on the console. And I'm like, it's just different. It's not worse. It used to be worse just because I don't think I had the chops. I was still trying to figure out how to make it happen, mm -hmm. but it's really hard. I think it's really hard. And I'm, maybe it's like the kind of level that I get out of my mixes or that I expect to get out of my mixes. It's just easier on the desk to get that kind of level and not have it like not grip or something. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know. I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> You're still trying to figure it out. It's Yeah. I mean, sure. Everybody is. Yeah. There's things about digital that are so cool and it just sounds different. The biggest problem I've had is I've never heard a compressor in the box do what like a smart C2 does on a tube bus. I just, and I, and that SSL one, I've been using that, the new SSL one on the UC1, mm -hmm. the bus compressor, bus compressor two, whatever the SSL's like newest bus compressor is, it's the best sounding like SSL style digital I've heard. And I still like put it up and then I put the C2 on and I'm like, it's not even a contest. Mm. It's still just crushing it. And this is assuming that you've got conversion that's good enough to do a loop and not make everything worse. So that's part of it too, is I upgraded conversion, got the newest link stuff, and it sounds really good. So I don't know, that's just me. Like yeah. I've got friends mixing the box. It sounds awesome. And I don't know how to mix like that. So yeah, too. I still go back and forth. I still yep. have this Whitestone audio box that Kim Rosen's husband, Dave Rosen made. And it's just it? like, it's just so damn cool. Yep. And I think too, I think part of it is having the ability to do both makes it harder to do digital well, because you always know you could go to the desk, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, it, and I think there's something to that philosophically where like, when you are just like, I'm all in, I'm mixing digital. I don't even own a console. I don't own a summing box. I don't own a hardware compressor. You're just going to make it sound good if you've got that kind of mentality, which I think mixers have to have. Yeah. You, you kind of have to commit and be all in. Yep. So I did, I think on that Margaret Glassby record I was talking about, there's like three digital mixes and the rest are on the console. And I remember sending that to mastering. And I remember not telling Huntley on purpose. I just was going to see if he yeah. was going to be like, what's up with these three mixes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or what's up with these 12 mixes. And everybody called me, we were talking about it. We always kind of check in after projects and see what I can do better, what he liked, what I liked, where I was trying to get better. And I was like, yeah, there's three digital mixes on there. And he's like, oh really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I couldn't tell. So, and that didn't used to be the case. He used to be like, those three are in the box. And, mm. and he would be right about it. So that was kind of cool. And he thought it was cool too. He's like, you've figured out a way to do your taste regardless of the tools, which is the, that's the that's goal. That's the goal. Yeah. And that, for sure. that brings us full circle to what we were talking about earlier with like the settings and stuff. It's yeah. like, 
the goal is to be like, you take the settings and you go, well, that's cool. I see why that person did that in their mix. And I'm going to take this and I just don't like this thing about it. So I'm going to do it this way. And then it becomes something. Before I let you go, I wanted to ask you, because we're talking about some gear and some techniques. I don't know if I asked you the, the gear question before, as far as discipline of buying or not buying. Do you, do you still like have a habit of buying stuff or have you kind of got your tools set? My tools are pretty much set. I've gotten things more like out of utility, like something needs to get fixed or I need to upgrade the computer because the machine just isn't keeping up with speeds and things like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like right before the pandemic, I was starting to really just settle in on this is my toolkit, you know, and I really like it. A couple of things have changed here and there, but I'm not, I've got kind of the kit that I love. And also too, like, I guess this is again, just waxing philosophical, but like that money book that I mentioned, I don't know, maybe it's part of getting older too, but you just start realizing, okay, I've got the tools I need. And the, the most important tool is my stability and my emotions and my, mm. like, is my house in order? Is my life in a set up in a way where I can do good work and not be terrified about X, Y, or Z happening? And I don't want to make some grand statement about why this is, but for whatever reason, you know, it's just really enticing to be like, oh, if I just got that compressor, I could, then I could be good. Maybe not everybody has that, but I had that for a long time. I still kind of have that sometimes. So it's good to break out of that. It's liberating. Yeah. It doesn't mean that a tool can't help you. That's it right. definitely can. But yeah. And I'm, I was dealing with this the other day. I was, I was seriously contemplating like, okay, I think I might buy one of those radial boxes that allows you to get the guitar pedals in oh, yeah. to your rig. And then I was like, should I get a mono one or a stereo one? And I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to buy like two pedals of a, every variety? And I started to really break down my thought process. And I was like, you know what? I see what's going to happen in a year from now. I'm going to be selling all this shit because I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to revert back and go, no, I think I'm going to stay in the box. I've gone down the rabbit hole and spent way too much money. And, and right, right, right. so I stopped right. myself. I was just like, I'm not even going to buy this thing. Yeah. And like, you got to be graceful with yourself too, because sometimes you do think you need something and it's okay to get a tool that you think was going to help and you can always sell it, let sell it later. That's not yeah. a problem. And it's good to have those things around too, because I try to have like a one in one out sort of thing where it's like, I really want to try this. Okay. What, what stuff's lying around that I really haven't touched in a few years. Yeah. You know, I try to do it that way. So it's not, I'm not dipping into my retirement or emergency or (laughs) I gotta have this guitar pedal it's gonna change everything yeah I need it I really need it more than like food when I'm 75 right that's a good good thing you know we're not designed to be that way we're not designed to think that far ahead so make sure you follow up with me on the name of the book because we got to make sure that yeah. the audience is aware of it it's called the money book for freelancers part-timers and the self-employed who's the author it's written by Joseph Diagnes and Denise Kierman. Okay. Reading so much of it, I was like, oh my God, that's me. Or that's my friends. Or like, I know this. I've seen this movie before. Yeah, I've seen this movie before. Yeah, exactly. Right. (laughs) Well, super cool. I'm going to put a link in the show notes, of course, to your website. Yeah. And all the stuff that we talked about, especially the book. Thanks again for coming back on the show. It's good to talk to you and good to see where you're at and where your head's at with things. There's some great, great ideas there that I'm going to steal. Awesome. Well, you can't steal it if it's freely given. That's right. (laughs) I'm going to borrow it. Brett, good to talk to you. And thanks again for, for being here. Yeah. Thank you so much, Matt. Okay. Take care. Our friends over at Cali Audio have just introduced the brand new LP UNF system, which is meant to give you everything you need from a studio monitor in a package that you can basically set up anywhere. And the system is specifically designed for your desk. So no matter how else you're using your desk, reflections from the drivers to the desk to your ears are accounted for, giving you a perfectly clear picture of your mix that you can rely on to translate well. Whether you're putting them on stands behind your desk, on a desk away from walls, on a desk against a wall, on a desk on speaker stands away from the walls, there's a number of configurations and they have settings on the back to accommodate all of that and more. And if price is a concern, never fear. They're priced at $299. That's right. Pretty affordable. Head on over to CaliAudio.com and check out the new LP UNF. Brett Bullion here on the Working Class Audio Podcast. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I'll say it again. 
and again and again. If you really want to help out the show, head on over to your podcast aggregator, wherever you're listening to the show, and leave a five-star review or some positive comments. That goes a long, long way, and I would really appreciate it. But that's all for me today. I want to thank the crew, including Anne-Marie Plow in the editing, Cliff Truesdale in the Working Class Audio theme song, and Mr. Chuck Smith, can't forget Chuck, for his wonderful voice at the beginning of the show. Connect with me on LinkedIn. Always feel free to email me, matt at workingclassaudio.com. And until next time, take care. Hey, I know many of you are aware of this, but for those of you that aren't aware, Working Class Audio sponsors the forum over at gearspace.com called Audio Life. And quite simply put, it's a place where audio professionals can go to talk with other audio professionals about things other than audio gear, including life hacks, work-life balance, health and hearing loss. You know, if you want to talk with other audio professionals who can identify with what your lifestyle is like and how it relates to things going on in the world outside of audio, this is a great place to go and check out. So head on over to gearspace.com, check out Audio Life, many of the same topics that we discuss here on the show on gearspace.com. So check that out.